we don't have menstrual cycles. We don't suffer with bloating and menstrual pain and irritability. We don't have to carry babies in our belly for nine months and then suffer childbirth and then have to look after it every time the baby cries. We don't have to walk to a car in a parking lot, look over our shoulder to see if someone's gonna attack us or we're not afraid to jog at night. Women have to face this stuff. Hello and welcome to the Confidential Podcast, where we discuss and demystify life and everything that impacts it. I'm Simone Gisondi, author, health strategist, life transformation consultant, and overall life enthusiast. I dive deep into the fascinating world of life with each show. Each episode features in-depth conversations with experts, thought leaders, as well as personal stories and experiences that will bring the world around us to life. Whether you're a curious newcomer or a passionate enthusiast, come with me on a journey of discovery and enlightenment. Tune in every week and join me as I demystify all things that touch life. Hello, everybody, and welcome to The Confidential. Thank you so much for joining me tonight. I have such an incredible and amazing show for you. We're going to be speaking about the art of masculinity, and I have such an amazing lineup of guests for you tonight. A panel interview with Dr. Nikos Apostolopoulos, Dr. Russ Irwin, and Rob Tomlinson, who's also a doctor of natural medicine. Dr. Nikos Apostolopoulos holds a PhD in physical therapy and developed his very own modality called <coughs> micro-stretching. He has worked with elite sport teams in Canada and overseas and is an adjunct professor at the University of Toronto, and he is in the process of doing his second PhD. If anybody embodies smart, this man does. No. Dr. Russ Irwin is a very dear friend of mine as well, who has also mentored me in the art of coaching, and I love him dearly for it. He holds a PhD in clinical psychology, has authored a book, done marriage counseling, taught at McMaster University, and now is a highly sought-after executive coach. And if that's not enough, his coaching style is so unique and rooted in being rather than doing, which he will speak to tonight, which is what I love the most about him. And he also wrote the foreword to my book. And if you haven't picked yours up, it's on Amazon called Against Medical Advice. He understands people and their behaviors on a level that is almost impossible to comprehend, but he will explain it in a way that I can't. Dr. Rob Tomlinson, who is a doctor of natural medicine, co-founded the Institute of Natural Health Technologies and devoted almost four decades, that's dedication, to the field of allergy research, immunology, electromagnetism, and biophysics. Can you imagine that? I mean, how smart is that? I interned with Rob so I can learn from him all about the root causes of allergy and disease. As most of you know, I had a stroke in 2011 and I wanted to learn how I can heal myself because I put my hand, I put myself in the hands of, of medicine and nearly died for it. So he helped me learn how to heal on a way that most people don't know. He's very well versed in energy medicine and energy healing and teaches at the Institute of Holistic Nutrition. Gentlemen, welcome. I am deeply humbled to have all of you because you guys are so on another level but I'm deeply humbled to have you on my show so that we could speak about the art of masculinity. You are all, for the audience that can't see, because this is going to be audio, um, you all embody masculinity in a way that I not only love and admire, but respect so deeply. And I really wanted 
people that embody that to speak to the art of it so that those that are out there in the world who want to understand what masculinity is, who want to learn how to step into their masculine, really need to hear from you. For me, because I wanted to really preface this for the audience, masculinity and a masculine man is one that's powerful, strong, confident, assertive, decisive, and really steps into his power in every moment. But I'm curious, what is masculinity to each one of you? Rob, let's start with you. Okay. Mm. Well, I'll, when I hear the term masculinity, the first thing I think of is my father. He was the, he was a man's man. And he was a logger. And every <laughs> he was working on the cranes, he would load logs from the water and load it on a, a big barge and carry it upstream, dump it in the pulp and paper mill, pardon me. And so he was working these controls all day long to the point where he's pulling himself out of the chair for eight hours a day. He had biceps on his biceps. I'll remember we all thought our dad was big and strong, but this guy was very big and strong, very masculine hands. I called mitts. He could take a beer cap and put it in my, put it in his uh, uh, bicep and bend it and right in half with his bicep. I tried it once and whined for about a day afterwards. Uh, it's not as hard as my dad's, but he was a strong guy. He was, he was not afraid of anything. He'd pick up snakes and spiders with his fingers. It nothing would bother him. He was not afraid of anything, but he taught me a very important lesson growing up. He says, a man, um, to, to be a man, you have to inconvenience yourself for a woman. And so he had a very gentle, soft side. And it reminds me of this book I read years ago. It was called Man of Steel and Velvet. Aubrey, I forget his last name. I'll think of it in a minute. But uh, it was it taught how to be strong and tough without being um, macho. I guess you can say. But my dad, he always says you inconvenience yourself for women. Now, as a natural practitioner, I would say a good 90% of my patients are women. And I had to become a practitioner to be able to appreciate what they actually go through. And I'm shocked. I mean, I, you know, I grew up with my sister and my mother and everything, but nothing like what I see in practice. We don't have menstrual cycles. We don't suffer with bloating and menstrual pain and irritability. And we don't have to carry babies in our belly for nine months and then suffer childbirth and then have to look after it every time the baby cries and get up and feed it in the middle of the night. And women, you know, we don't have to walk to a car in the parking lot, look over our shoulder to see if someone's gonna attack us or. We're not afraid to jog at night. Women have to face this stuff. And I see the things that they go through. And I want to listen to my, what my dad would say. If your wife is sitting there saying, I'm hungry, that's 11 o'clock at night. I feel like having potato chips. All right, honey, I'll, I'll get in the car and I'll go to the store and get you potato chips. And um, I, I believe in being there for them. Open the door for them. Inconvenience yourself for them. You don't like my music? Okay, I'll, I'll let you listen to your music which I hate, but I, I'll, I'll do that. And, and I'd listen to my dad and watch the way he treated my mother. Even when she was in a bad mood, she would verbally abuse him. You never talk back to a woman. You don't hit a woman. You don't overpower her because you have, you, she has not had to go, you have not had to go through the things that she's endured in life. 
And so that was my idea of masculinity walking up or growing up and watching my dad. Um, there's a lot more to masculinity than that, but he was a perfect example for me growing up. So my question was going to be, because clearly in your practice, and I interned with you, and I know that I've seen that there were also men in your practice. Mm -hmm. What did, what do you gauge from interacting with your female uh, patients as well as your male patients? What did you see, especially because you, you do a lot of energy medicine, what is visible or what jumps out at you as far as differentiating between the feminine energy and the masculine energy in your patient demographic? Well, that's a, that's a loaded question, but I would think um, men tend to, they tend to, I, I don't know. I, that's a question. I'd have to think about that for a bit. Um, with what I do, it's very simple working with men or women, but I would think women are a lot more open. They're sensitive to their bodies. Men are not, they don't care. Men don't come in until something's hurting. Mm -hmm. And then females are very in tune to their body. They're mm -hmm. sensitive to everything about it, where men tend to overlook that a lot. And I find it so much easier to work with women because they're so sensitive to making change. Uh, for example, I'll give some, uh, a lady comes in and, and I'll put her on a program and She'll come back and say, that one gave me diarrhea. Is that normal? Should I change something or whatever? A man will typically say, well, no, give me diarrhea. I'm not having that anymore. You know, but, you know, right. women are more teachable. They're more sensitive to their bodies more than men. So that's about the only difference I'd seen in, in, in the energy aspect of it. And how about in the sense of uh, strength? Because I know that you measure a lot of the stuff, physiological aspects uh, of the body in your practice. Does that show up? The, do the physiological changes or the physiological aspects of men in, in their power and their strength, does that show up on, on the tests that you do with your patients? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Um, I find that uh, men tend to, and I'll explain it this way, when we do a test with them, we're actually testing their muscle strength. And of course, men are stronger. However, except you're, if you're Eastern European woman, I don't know, there's something strong about those Eastern European women, but they, they adjust, they, I can test them men are stronger as far as the physical strength, but they, that women tend to um, strengthen or their body heals faster, I find, than most men. Um, yeah, I, and, then, and maybe they're more consciousness of their health and what they're putting in their body than the the typical men if i'm answering your question correctly yes and i and i'd like to follow that up to dr nichols uh because i know that in his modality micro stretching he's also in that same sort of sector of health and wellness um does that translate in the way that you have worked with your patients and i'm going to call them that dr nichols so you need to Give me some more, um, how do you say? Context. Context, yes, mm -hmm. please. In the sense of uh, the way in your modality of micro-stretching, mm -hmm. do, do you see that the male body in its masculine energy, and I know that the physiological interfaces with the energetic, do you see changes in how the male physiology reacts to your modality versus the female physiology? And I think, what, mm -hmm. and to, uh, pardon me, uh, to what uh, 
Dr. Rob said, it's actually very true because the, the female body goes through many different upheavals uh, as far as hormonal balance is concerned. Uh, what he talked about, our digestive system reacts very differently vis-a-vis -vis those hormonal um, changes, uh, menstrual cycle, things of that nature. So I'm thinking, I mean, from a common sense perspective that the female body reacts differently, but I know that the female body interfaces with an energy field as does the male body. And I just want to know, is there something that can be seen and backed up by science visible to the eye in the way that the body responds in your modality? I think the biggest issue that you have to look at is the whole thing behind the concept of touch because my work is all hands-on mm -hmm. and males are more adverse to being touched from a gentle point of view, because first and foremost, the only distinction I will make between the human, the, the, uh, the female body and the male body, besides the reproductive system is as Rob touched upon is just the physical strength, but the immune system and all the other systems are the same. Mm -hmm. Okay. And how you, work with those systems um, is very, very important as to how, what types of results I get. So when I'm working with uh, the male body, uh, one of the biggest issues I have to deal with is getting them to relax, getting them to start to feel more about uh, themselves, feel more about their physicality. And the one thing, because my technique is very, very gentle, uh, the one issue I do have is a lot of them have that mentality that if it doesn't hurt, it's not doing anything for me, oh. where I've often had to educate the males a lot more than the females with regards to being able to uh, go within the realm of feeling, you know, go within their limbic brain, because that's where your emotions, Ross, I could be, I hope this is right, but I think the emotions are part of the limbic brain. And a lot of males, I mean, we are all exposed to the emotions and the limbic brain itself, but a lot of males tend to not tap into that because we grew up with this narrative that we have to be tough, we, we can't cry, um, we have to uh, be the, the hunters, we weren't the gatherers. I mean, and that just basically transformed into uh, how we tend to hold our bodies, how we tend to be within our bodies. And with males, uh, males are a lot less emotional. They tend to um, hide that emotion, even though they are very emotional, even though we... Uh, and I find that some of the, the most emotional people I've ever worked with are males, you know, and yes, they are because That's once they actually, once you tear away all those layers, then they're allowed to be whom they were designed to be. Mm -hmm. But it's the narrative of society that is basically hidden all that. You know, if you're not the Arnold Schwarzenegger, if you're not the Bruce Willis, then you're just a... Uh, you know, a sissy, but I think it's very important to be that sissy because then you're more in tune with whom you really are. And I don't make a distinction between masculinity and feminine <clears throat> femininity. I, to me, it's one whole continuum. 
we have estrogen in our bodies, not to the extent that the women do, and women have testosterone in their bodies, not to the extent that we do, but we're all, uh, the makeup physiologically is practically the same. So it's the narrative of society that has made these distinctions of masculinity and femininity. So I wanted to give you an opportunity, Dr. Nichols, to speak to what, uh, much like Dr. Rob uh, articulated, what is masculinity to you? And then I have very important questions for Dr. Russ based on what you just said. To me, there is no distinction. Honestly, to me, it's just one continuum. It's the narrative that's basically the narrative society that is defined. And it could be just Western hemisphere society, you know, the hero, the uh, the tough person, uh, the warrior, but you can go to other societies where they don't, do not have that clear cut distinction. And you will see the males being the caregivers, taking care of the children, uh, helping around the house. So I, to me, um, it's the, like the yin and the yang. We have the masculine and feminine within our bodies and we have to basically look at that balance because that balance truly defines what it is to be human. And if we actually skew more to uh, one side uh, on that continuum, then I think that's the, a detriment to whom, we're, to whom we really are. Do you think that nature has made it that the balance of the masculine and the feminine, so from a physiological perspective, women have more estrogen, men have more testosterone. So that makes them, you know, masculine and that makes us women feminine. Mm -hmm. If you were to strip away society, would we not have the roles that we play or would they be naturally driven? Would we be naturally driven to be the females, to be the nurturers and the males to be the that, that depends on the context of the society that you grew up in. Like what pops into my mind is um, in the ancient times, there used to be the, the Amazonians, a whole society that was driven by females that were even warriors and they were tough and they had to be tough. <laughs> Not only that, but, you know, they were also the ones that gave birth. They chose the male partners that they wanted to have kids with. But within that context of society and their environments, it's the nurturing thing, you know, uh, nature and nurture. The nurture brings out a lot of things, the epigenetics as to how uh, these characteristics are brought to the forefront. Um, is very, very important to look at. We just can't make that distinction. Okay, yes, physiologically, males can't give birth to, uh, to, to babies. Um, you know, structure or strength-wise, women are uh, a little less uh, strong than men because of the muscle mass. But I also think a lot of it has also been sort of defined as to how we grew up and in what societies we grew up. I mean, if you take a Victorian woman, they were taught differently. They were taught that you had to obey the man, that you had to be there even in, up until the 1950s. You know, the father comes back home from work and the children are all dressed up. They're waiting for their father to walk through the door. As soon as they make their presence, then they're hushed away. Now go away because your dad's been working all day. So they create this mystique that this is the male, the lion of the pride. He's just come home. But that's all determined by uh, society and societal values. And I honestly think that 
males are just as sensitive, if not more than females, because we haven't been taught to go to that sensitive part of whom we really are. So masculinity to me, I don't make that distinction. I think it's one whole continuum and we have to really look at how it's been defined and, and repackaged in the society we live in. I'd like to take a quick break now to let you know that today's show is sponsored by my book, Against Medical Advice. This book is a memoir, and it tells the story of how I built my life back after suffering a stroke during my divorce. I discuss the nutritional, lifestyle, and mindset aspects that I put into practice to regain my health and rebuild my life. The book has been a labor of love, both writing it and publishing it, and I couldn't be more proud of it. Please pick up your copy from Amazon. For your very own signed copy, my email address is simone at simonegisandi.com. Oh, and I'd really appreciate it if you'd please consider leaving a review once you've read the book. And now, back to the show. Well, I appreciate that so much. So it's all on the same continuum. Dr. Russ, on to you. What do you identify masculinity as? especially now in light of what both Dr. Dr. Rob and Dr. Nichols have said with regards to the continuum. Dr. Rob described his father in the exact way that I see men embody masculinity. And then Dr. Nichols obviously described it as a continuum that kind of has very small distinctions in the way that the masculine sort of manifests itself versus how the feminine manifests itself vis-a-vis the physiological distinctions. But he did say something that um, was interesting, and I wanted to get your take on it. Do we have any kind of distinctions neurologically being that you studied clinical psychology? Well, so there, there there is a difference in the size of the neuronal bundles coming off the amygdala and the limbic system between men and women. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, again, if I make this statement, I also want to qualify afterwards is that, you know, if you look at the thalamus, which is the entry point, for example, into the brain or into the mind for information, that information really has no sense of meaning. And it's sent down to the neocortex, but the neocortex will then create some kind of a rational sense of understanding and response to that. So you have thalamus to neocortex, rational response. Off to the side here, you have your amygdala, which is really more your place of emotions, emotional memory, spatial memory. What they discovered a few years ago, which was a breakthrough in neuroscience, was that as you have these neuronal bundles that are going from the thalamus to the neocortex, they discovered bundles coming from the limbic system into those neuronal bundles attaching the thalamus to the cortex. And oftentimes they experience what is now well known as neuro or emotional hijackings. And so what happens is people would emotionally respond to a particular situation and somebody might say, man, dude, what were, what, what were you thinking? That was a crazy response. The truth is that you hadn't got to a place of thinking yet because it had not reached the neocortex for a place of rational response. It had been, in a sense, neurologically hijacked by the limbic system or more specifically by the amygdala. What they found out is that the neural bundles within women in the limbic system, particularly in these fibers that connect into the thalamus and the neocortex, are larger in women, and they're larger, they're thicker, and the more active from a neurochemical and electrical perspective than they are in men, which simply says this. Uh, Again, this is not a stereotyping, this is a neuroscience, is that does not mean that men are more geared to rational thinking or men are smarter than women. That's not what we're saying. 
but we are say we are saying is that women are more geared to sensitivity and emotion than men it does not mean that a man cannot be sensitive and it does not mean that a woman cannot be rational so i certainly would not want the audience to hear me saying something like that but women i think with the maternal aspect that they have <clears throat> again levels of oxytocin is that women are more geared to emotion not emotionalism because that word has been disrespectfully used within culture these days but women are more apt to have that emotional sensitivity even from from the positive aspects than what men do so there is this physiological differencing between men and women but as i listen to you know the the, the two responses from these two very very intelligent individuals and very well versed I'll give you the psychological answer that you would expect from a psychologist. They're both yes, right. please. They're both right. And 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 what I say about this, and I really appreciate what Dr. Miko said as he was describing really what has been around for a number of years, and it's not going anywhere. It's the nature nurture argument, and really depending on which theorist that you choose to learn from, one's going to be nature oriented, one's going to be nurture, and yet they're both right. So I think what we have to do is create some understanding of some definition in a larger form of masculinity, not looking so much where culture was and where culture is, but an understanding of both sides of the coin, because there are two sides to this coin. And what's happened now is because of a lack of clarification, a lack of learning and understanding, is there is what I would call an amplification of stressors within the masculine journey these days. And, and I do want to say that masculinity is hard in a sense to somewhat define because it's not so much a place that we arrive at as it is a journey that we progressively move through. And, you know, the other night when we did a podcast on masculinity and I shared with you the six stages of masculinity starting in boyhood. Um, and according, again, you know, part of the development that happens in those early childhood stage is very, very much nurture oriented. Um, it's interesting that a lot of our sensitivity, so let's look at young boys for a moment, as well as young girls, but with young boys, a lot of our sensitivity is passed down to us and is developed through the mom. But the identity is given to us by the father. And even physiologically, we know it's the father actually that determines the gender of the child. And, you know, again, this is changing. And I don't want to say we need to go back to the old days, but it would be that, you know, the 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 wife would take the father's or the husband's name and the children would take the father's name. And so identity is very, very much from an, an emotional and, and psychological perspective Identity is tied to the father, which is why fatherhood is very, very important. So let's take a moment just to talk about this amplification of stressors. And if we go back to roots or origins for definition, I would say this, that masculinity has long been associated with a couple of things, with strength, with integrity, with domination, and with aggression. Now, not surprising, giving its roots in ancient Rome, where masculinity, and here's a very interesting discovery, is masculinity in ancient Rome signified citizenship rights that were limited to men only. And so to be a citizen of, of Rome, first of all, you had to be a man. It wasn't given to a woman. It was given to a man. And there were certain traits that had to behaviorally be demonstrated by that man to actually qualify for citizenships to Rome. That, in a sense, definition or behavioral understanding of men has actually carried on for a few thousand years. And it's only in the last number of years that we said, hold on a second, let's Let's redefine or let's refine that. Now, here's the problem as part of human nature. Very rarely, we are wired for balance, for homeostasis, for equilibrium, whichever word that you would choose to hold on to. 
The problem is this, that we are wired for balance, but human behavior usually goes towards pendulum swings. And so here we are with the ancient Roman definition of the man, the strong, aggressive, you know, force wired for protection. And, and that's true. So we can't get rid of that. There's truth to that. But now we're in this demasculinizing stage within society that's saying, well, hold on a second now. And their culture is trying to feminize men, believing that they're actually redefining what a man really is. But what they're actually doing is they're creating a pendulum swing extreme to the right now. And I think that we have to discover a sense of balance within culture. So I, I love Rob's definition of a father. And if we, you know, you had asked about maybe doing a podcast sometime on, on feminine entity, femininity, excuse me, feminine energy. And what is it that a woman really wants? Well, you know, not to code Mel Gibson's movie, but the reality is from a behavioral perspective, women really want four things. They want to be seen, heard, understood, and they want to feel safe. And so our role as a man is to help provide that with our partners. And so that sense of safety and protection that's wired within a woman is also wired in a man to provide that. However, in saying that, is our limbic system and our amygdala, just because we're men, is not dead. Now, we don't want to feminize masculinity. However, I do believe parts of the shift that we've gone to, that being a masculine man, does it have this sense of strength and let me use assertion rather than aggression and and a healthy form of dominance to do it you know do we have that you know 300 thor like provider you know rob's dad who can bend the bottle cap with his bicep that's awesome and that is a man however that man who is able to be in touch with his feelings who's able to communicate those feelings with his partner who's able to cry and not suffer from shame in doing so that is also very much a man. The problem is we've got two pendulums here. We've got this extreme definition. So, you know, I shared with you recently in a podcast, Simone, when I was growing up, I'll never forget when I was, I was about four and a half. I'm not sure what I did, but obviously something wrong. But, you know, the girl that I was four, she was like 14, hit me with a shovel. She got angry at something, hit me in the head with a shovel. I got up and I punched her. Well, good Lord, a neighbor saw that. So what did he do? He dragged me home to my father. So back in those days, everybody got to take a crack at you. I mean, everybody abused you. The teachers did, the neighbors did, everybody got to beat you up. So I'm taken to my father. And first I've been slapped by the neighbor. I've been hit with a shovel with a girl, but I'm in trouble because I hit her back. And so my father, so the neighbor whooped me, the girl whooped me, and then my dad beat me for doing what I did. And I remember crying as a four and a half year old. So I'm not a man now. I haven't even begun my masculine journey. I'm just a boy and I'm crying. First of all, because my dad's mad. Second of all, everybody's laid a beating on me. And I said, but dad, she hit me with a shovel, but she hit a woman and you don't hit a woman. Okay, I agree with that. Well, then my dad hit me and I started to cry. Well, you know what he did? The neighbor laughed and my dad hit me again because I was crying. And out came that famous saying that we all heard if we're beyond 35. Big boys don't what? Cry. You don't cry. And so masculinity was defined, at least in our era, is the withholding of feelings. But and that's, that's that's the that's the nature. That absolutely. was the narrative. Absolutely. And so what's happening now, again, I think it's a little bit of an extreme pendulum. But if I was to try to define and I, I'm not sure I'd want to be held to that, but I would say a man ha is, has wired into him strength and protection. And let's talk about strength for a second, just a bit of a segue. We're running into all kinds of issues. If you listen to the news every day, 
of men now competing in women's sports and the women don't have a chance. And so, you know, you've got this jock of a man who was an Olympic gold medalist as a man, but now as a transgender jumps into women's sports and wins the gold medal. Well, of course he's going to. And so we've got all this confusion going on, which goes back to what I said about seven minutes ago, the amplification of stretch stressors within culture. But I think we need to find that balance. If you wanted a definition, a man is strong. A man has wired within him this protective nature, in a sense, that hunter aspect. However, let's modernize that and let's not miss the path that we also have an amygdala. And I think it is very appropriate, in fact, very necessary. The man is able to cry. The man is able to feel. And the man is able to not only demonstrate that, but mentor that into his male children. And that was not done for those of ours. I mean, I'm 62 in a couple of months. That is not part of my culture. I don't even remember my dad telling me he loved me. And I remember saying to my mom once, does dad love me? And she thought I was crazy. She said, well, of course he does. He goes to work every day. And you know, I just wanted to know I was loved. Well, I was supposed to somehow know that because my dad came home with a bag of groceries because he had earned some money. So what's happening now is we've been extreme in that we've held on to this Roman ideology of masculinity that's not wrong. And we have this pendulum attempt to demasculinize men in, in our culture today. And some of it's not wrong. But I think what we need to do is sort of this. And we find this sense of balance and equilibrium where we are strong and we are warriors and we are protectors. But in the same sense, we're also very much in touch with our, our feelings as well. And the interesting thing is this, and I just want to read this if I could, this I, I made some notes on a couple of things, and I thought, gosh, this is going to be really interesting for tonight. So listen to this about masculinity. These are statistics within the last 18 months. Men are more likely to commit suicide and die from work-related deaths. Women are more likely to suffer from mental health issues. It's important that we have a society where people feel comfortable sharing their struggles and seek help when they need it. We can't expect a man to seek help if he's always been taught to keep his emotions in check and be strong for everybody else. And so we've got a real challenge right now among men. We have, as I discussed with you prior, Simone, we have a repeat of the 60s. We have an identity crisis that's happening with men right now. We don't know who we are. And I think we need to find our rhythm and balance. And it's between how we were defined and how we are being defined right now. And very importantly, we also have to think ahead of how are we mentoring and what are we demonstrating, say, for example, as fathers to our male children. So, when my, so when my son cried, I didn't tell him big boys don't cry. I encouraged him to share his feelings with me. And I've cried as a father with my son, did it with my daughter. She thought it was great. But I've cried with my son, who's a male, because I wanted him to understand that being a man is not always being strong, being a man. In fact, being strong is not the way the Romans define that, that being strong is also being authentic and vulnerable and real with our emotions and feelings. I was just going to say that it must take a lot of strength for a man in the face of society today or the way that it's been in the way that masculinity has been defined thus far to have the strength to cry even though he might be ridiculed that takes a lot of strength and a lot of courage to be able to go and put his feelings on the on display and actually face being ridiculed made fun of and shamed for it because it's not it's not something that's um seen as manly or masculine 
But I want to go back to what Dr. Nicole said, and I wanted to hear your take on it from a psychology perspective. And uh, Dr. Rob said in the beginning that his father said that you have to go and do for the woman. And I, and that hits me right in the soul. I love that because to me, it makes me feel feminine when a man does something of that uh, caliber on the masculine side. If we were to strip away societal norms and society's let's call it brainwashing or society's conditioning, would we manifest our masculinity and femininity in the same way as we do now? Because to a certain degree, what Dr. Nico said is right. We look to Hollywood and to the media to define for us what we should do. And we are shepherded towards being those mm -hmm. very things. But if we were to take that away, let's say we took a man and a woman put them in the wild, had no access to anything that would give them or affect any kind of thinking or plant any seeds and let them just express their femininity or their, their true nature, um, like let it flow naturally without any interference. Would it still express itself in the way that it is now as affected by society or would it be different psychologically? So I, I think really what I'm going to offer you is probably, I'd, I'd like to say it's an opinion opinion, um, because I want to be careful that I'm not going to make a statement that says this is the right way. My opinion would be this. If you took people out of culture, whatever that would look like, and put them on the deserted island, the man would rise up to probably protect, to care for, and to hunt. However, I'll also say this, and again, I, I say this cautiously and with the utmost of respect, if the woman was crying and culture had not told a man that he shouldn't do that, he would probably find it very helpful and very normal to cry with her. And so I think that there would be the expression of emotions from a man that would be more balanced and more healthy because there would be, in a sense, the only culture that he would be around would be that of his partner, that of the woman. And so I think he would learn from her. And I hate to say feminine traits, but for lack of better terms, there are aspects of sensitivity and emotion that are more feminine wiring neurologically that he would pick up from her existence and feel quite comfortable with because of her acceptance of that. But then there's also his natural wiring. He would probably go, he would naturally deviate towards the protection of the woman. And I don't think if two people were on an island, a male, a man and a, and a woman, and the lion was coming towards them, I don't think naturally the man would go and hide behind the woman. I think he would step in front of her. He probably would run after the lion or he'd throw something at it. So my opinion would be, from a natural perspective, unclouded by so much the cultural disorientation and the amplification of stressors that I alluded to earlier, I think, by and large, a man would step into that more assertive, protective, domineering type role. And I think without cultural influence, the woman might be more grateful for that. Mm -hmm. Fantastic. So it, it's something that's naturally driven and innate in us to yeah. step into those roles yeah. from a natural perspective. We just slip into those energies that sort of drive us to act in a way that is the way we have seen traditionally, especially prior to the times that we see right now. And to speak to that, I would love to hear from you, Dr. Rob, what Dr. Russ just alluded to about the the demasculinization of men. How do you feel about that? And what do you think has been the driving factor behind that, that it is actually unfolding in front of our very eyes today in society? 
Yeah, sorry, I meant demasculinization of men. That's, That's right, right. demasculinization yeah. of men. Uh, <clears throat> I somehow I think society has really maybe it's media or something and television, whatever the shows we watch, how they've made men to look stupid. Uh, men are the, I mean, Family Guy. There's so many of these uh, cartoons right. out there. There's a, the sitcoms that obviously show the the male is not as intelligent as the woman. That's right. So one of the biggest things that women have a hard time is with a man who is either lazy or he doesn't he doesn't help around the house. Let's say, so that's frustrating to her as as it is. And then she sees these sitcoms about men are just not that intelligent. They're always saying stupid things. And I think that's something's just bred from generation to generation, generation, a little by little by little by little until, you know, um, we just were seen as someone who's insignificant, lazy, slothful, not there to protect the women. I think that's just more media based than anything. Now we were talking, Simone, like you touched on, you said there's, you believe that there's strength in showing vulnerability mm-hmm. um, and admitting a, a man is wrong and to show uh, emotional weakness. Um, there is actually strength in that. It it takes a lot out of it. And, and I'll tell you, <laughs> as I'm getting older, I'm getting, I'm over, I'm 60 now, but I'm, I, I'm now I'm, I'm realizing that I'm starting to get more estrogen in my body. The body actually takes more, it takes testosterone and there's something called uh, 5-alpha reductase that turns it into dihydrotestosterone. Um, There's also something called uh, aromatase, which converts your estrogen or sorry, testosterone into estrogen. So that's why I love shopping. And and I just want to say, Russ, I know your dad didn't say it, but I love you. Okay. So I know you do, buddy. <laughs> um, but I, what was I saying now? You before I was rudely interrupted by Russ. So you're talking about how the um as you as we get older <clears throat> hormonally. Yeah, so, so this shift. is what's happening. And so I noticed that uh, I was only kidding, Russ. Um I, I I do notice that, but I do notice with certain cultures, as Russ was talking about different cultures. I, I mean, I married an Italian woman. And I noticed there's a lot of emotion and touching with men and hugging and kissing with men. You, especially the older generation, you kiss them, they got to kiss you on the both sides of the face. And, and whenever there's something, they show their emotions, but they cry easily. They, that's not a, a thing that they have to bury. They never learn to bury that. That's their tradition. And I, I think, um, but getting back to your original question, I think what's happened is, as I was saying earlier, it's, I really believe society has a lot to do with because of media, television programs, movies, and things like that. And um, yeah, I don't really know if I want to, if I can expand on that anymore, but that's what I'm thinking that's coming from Simone. Mm-hmm. And, and if, I, if I could interject one thing, uh, sorry, just in terms of what Rob is saying, and even the holding back of emotions, that is greatly impacting the health of men because this inability or lack of belief or acceptance in really getting in touch with in the expression of emotions is killing men when it comes to grief mm. because they don't know how to grieve. No. And so, you know, the body starts to keep the scores. You'd all probably know of Bessel van der Kolk's book. And so there are a lot of men with a lot of physiological disturbances and immune disturbances. 
and it's interestingly correlated at times to coming out of a grievous situation. And so these emotions are not only our lack of emotions are not only problematic in the defining of masculinity, it's creating havoc within our bodies in our inability to know how to grieve. And perhaps that also, uh, Dr. Russ, that touches on what you said, the statistics that you presented that men are more likely to commit suicide. From work, from, you said from work, because we're men sort of define themselves by the work that they do, because we're not going out there and trying to kill the woolly mammoths or the saber-toothed tigers anymore. We've replaced all that, which actually adds more stressors to your body, as Russ and Robert know, that now how are you going to relieve all that adrenaline, all that sympathetic neural system response? And when you define yourself uh, based on your work uh, and it's not going well, then I think that's where you sort of you lose that identity or you don't really don't have an identity outside of work. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And it's paralyzing for men and fearing for men as they draw close to retirement. It's very interesting. You know, this has been something that's been around probably for 30 or 40 years, but still quite, quite common. When, when two men meet and introduce themselves, the, one of the first questions they'll ask is, so what do you do for a living? Correct. Mm -hmm. You don't see that as much around women. That's women true. are more interested in other things about each other. Men are interested in the careers. And oftentimes the answer determines the level of competitiveness that's about to follow in that masculine, you know, tug of war that's going to happen now. And so um, it's it's become very problematic. And, and, you know, it was Carl Jung who probably about 40 years ago said, you know, if you don't know who you are, the world is waiting to, to tell you who you're supposed to be. And, and I think, you know, in terms of masculinity, we really have an identity challenge, an identity unraveling, an identity crisis that's happening within our society right now as a result of extreme pendulums. And I think it's going to be of the utmost importance, uh, particularly for this next generation, our sons and grandsons coming up, that we sort of settle the issue and we find our balance. But I mean, the issue that's really happening, Russ, is this is how we're thinking but society as a whole has got its own, uh, how do you say, Agenda. uh, agendas as to what, and like you said, uh, what Carl Jung said about uh, society will tell you who you are. I think we are allowing society now to define what it is to be male. And if you basically go and you express yourself the way we used to express ourselves in the 60s, because I'm 62, so I'm older than all you guys there. You know, I have seen a big change over the years as to how I'm able to even express myself as a male towards other males. If I say certain things, uh, and I can't say it right now because if I do, I even though this is a podcast, but if I say certain things that are deemed derogatory, that are deemed uh, racist, that are deemed uh, not acceptable in society right now, uh, I'm not allowed to be who I should be or whom I really, based on how I grew up, I'm not allowed to be authentic anymore. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. That's creating tremendous confusion. And, and it's creating a lot of chaos in us. And, and like you said, to what you said, and what Rob said, it's, it's an identity crisis. It's not, you know, and, and this is the thing that we are basically going through is how do we define ourselves as males? That's been taken away. 
or or rather, can you, are you allowed to define yourself as such? You're not anymore because now society is telling you what is acceptable and what is not acceptable. Right. And I mean, for instance, I'll give you how I'll give you an example of how powerful society is or how powerful the the people behind society. And I'm not gonna lay the blame on psychologists for us, but the Freud family, very, very powerful family from Sigmund Freud to his daughter Anna Freud to their nephew Edward Bernays. They basically manipulated the whole thought process in the 1940s to define what we in the 60s grew up thinking what it is to be defined as successful, mm-hmm. i.e., you grow up, you get yourself an education. And then once you get your education, you get yourself a job. Once you get yourself a job, then you look for a partner. And then after a partner, you buy a house, yada, 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 yada. That is a defined role that was placed on males and females to some extent in the 1940s because of what happened in World War II. Now you have this animal that's coming back home from seeing the atrocities. And, and you mentioned Vander, uh, is it Vanderklerk? Vanderklerk. Vanderklerk. Man, that guy is amazing. That guy's my hero. The whole PTSD stuff and what they looked at. And now you have, you have a person who has expressed his rawness because he was put in a, in a situation where it's kill or be killed. And it's all limbic driven, all reptilian driven, you're not thinking from, uh, like you said, from the cortex point of view, that's been severed. And now you're trying to tell them, you're trying to define for them what success is, what the American dream is. And like I said earlier on, this family has been instrumental in creating the societal norms that we have accepted in the 60s. And now as we're progressing, those are being changed as well. And the one thing that is being lost is how are we truly defining roles in this society? Mm-hmm. That's gone. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And to your point, both of you, you, my esteemed colleagues, and I'm not being a lawyer right now in a court case, <laughs> but to your point, that creates a lot of dissonance, more so in the male, because we're not allowed to, be, to, to express how we truly feel. And how we truly, um, uh, I'm not talking about going out there and shooting or being aggressive, but uh, for instance, I, I had this talk with Simone a long time ago. I grew up like, uh, like the rest of you guys that, you know, you were taught um, to open the door for a lady. Mm-hmm. That's chivalry, right? Mm-hmm. I opened the door for several people and not just recently, but even 15 years ago. And I was basically... How do you say given a talk to? Yeah. yeah. Given a talk to as to how dare you open the door for me? You know? Very offended sometimes. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. And I'm sitting there going, but wait a sec. That was something that was normal for me. So I'm not allowed to express some form of normalcy based on how I was educated or cultured. Mm-hmm. And there creates that issue of confusion. Yeah. You just don't know how you, you see a person and based on your past 
you try to uh, do things as you were cultured. And then you're thinking, well, if I do this, now I'm starting to think the neocortex is kicking in. My logical stuff is starting thinking, but if I do this, uh, this person might react this way or they might react that way. And, and now I'm more or less inclined to sort of say, you know what? I'm not going to react. I'm, I mean, I'm not going to act. I'm just going to walk away and ignore the situation. Mm-hmm. And, and that's what's happening. Yeah. But that's very hard to do when you've had that ingrained in you. Correct. Very difficult to walk away. Oh, my gosh. I, I feel so out of place. When a woman jumps in and I, I let her pull the door open, I don't know. It's, it's very difficult to overcome that once you've had it ingrained in you. Well, when I go walking with Simone, I've often said to her, Simone, I walk on the outside. Right. Hey, and this is something that we were taught. And I mean, it's, it's something that basically has been around since the Victorian ages. And the reason why the man walked on the, uh, on the outside in the Victorian ages, and they also had those top hats, is because that's where they threw all the shit out of the windows, right? So the man is the one who gets shit on. Yeah. <laughs> there you go. You know, so there you go. We get shit on because, you know, we're doing the chivalrous thing. That but, that takes us back to what uh, Dr. Rob said in the beginning. It's a man's job to take the shit. And the woman, he would have to do anything for the woman. But, but I think, on, but I on think a serious it's confusion. Note, but it's confusion. No, on a serious note. It is. If you ask, ask the question to 99.99% of the males out there, they'll be looking at you bewildered and confused because they don't know how to think anymore about what it is to be male or anymore. And how and to bring the, the masculine energy. And those stressors yeah. started to create a shutdown. Correct. And I think what's sad is the fact that there are women in the world, and I speak on their behalf because I know they're out there like myself, who really love, respect, and appreciate the chivalry of having a door open for us mm-hmm. or having a man tell us, I'm going to walk on the outside to protect you or do the things that we, like such as myself, so I'm 47, and I grew up with having all of that ingrained in me as well. And now that men have sort of eliminated those behaviors because society expects them to or forces them to eliminate those behaviors, now we're left to say, where's masculinity? What is masculinity? Where has it gone? We are used to that. We want it. We, In fact, we need it. And we look for it only for it not to be found anymore. And I would love to have you all gentlemen come and join me when I speak with Dr. Russ about the the feminine energy and what the feminine energy needs in the sense of polarity to be able to express itself fully in exactly how nature has intended it. But Dr. Nichols, I wanted to go back to ask you because I've given the, the other two gentlemen the opportunity to answer this question. What does this demasculinization of men mean to you? And why is society so hell-bent on making this happen and unfold with such rapidity? I just think, I, I think I answered that question in a roundabout way. It's created a lot of confusion in me. and so it's a lot to create of, confusion. It's created a lot of confusion and it's done, I think, on purpose because I honestly think there is... I'm a conspiracist at heart, and now that I've said it, and I honestly think that there's agendas out there where we are being told how to react, um, how to act, and um, one of the best ways to be able to create 
the ability for something to be absorbed is to create massive confusion. Because when you're confused, you can't think critically, you can't think logically, and not only on that, and then you've got the surrounding that is basically forcing you to think that, hey, maybe I am thinking wrongly here. Maybe I'm not thinking rightly here, and I should basically conform to what I think or how I think I should act. And, and um, it's that confusion that's creating this dissonance amongst males. And I'm not, I'll be out there and I'll put this out there. And I honestly think that this is what's also creating a lot of that aggression where you see a lot of males taking guns and or basically creating a lot of crime because they don't know what it is to be themselves anymore. And, it, and it's a crying out from them as to, you know, help me find myself again. Mm-hmm. Or help and, me identify how to act in, in the world. How yeah, I see that yourself. with the youth, the young people these days. Correct. When they want to, they're courting a woman. Well, actually, they're not. It's the other way around now. A uh, guy will say, uh, here's my phone number, call me. We were always taught to pursue the woman and court her. That's kind of, it's reversed. Mm-hmm. Maybe I'm yes. just old-fashioned. No, well, there's nothing wrong with being old-fashioned. We love old-fashioned. Some of us women love old-fashioned. Dr. But, Russ, I would love to hear from you as to why, because you brought up this whole idea of demasculinization of men today. Why do you think that's happening in the world today? Other than to create confusion, which of course is the case. But is there a, a, a much deeper agenda? Is there a much deeper reason that it's unfolding in the way that it is, especially at the rate of speed that it is? But Simone, before you actually get Ross to answer this question, you've also got to sort of define it even more. Is it the demasculization of males in the Western Hemisphere? Because in the Eastern Hemisphere, you don't see much of that happening. Mm. Absolutely. Very interesting. Absolutely. Very interesting how Nigerian culture works. Correct. The role of a man in Nigeria compared to the role of a man in Los Angeles. Um you know, to answer your question, Simone, I would say, you know, the demasculization of society, I, I probably have a little bit of conspiracy theorist within me. <laughs> I, I would say this, and, and I'll offer this as an opinion rather than empirical proof. I think that what we've seen the last couple of years, um, a lot of that has to do with a massive experiment in social control. Correct. And, Correct. And, and, and I think my opinion would be that you know Canadians being very very conservative men or women and just really kind of doing what we're told and not rising up um when we had the truckers convoy whether it was a right or wrong issue is not the issue at the moment but the issue is <clears throat> I think the government stepped back for a moment said whoa okay we need to step back now they're rising up and you know when when you look at history have we not learned anything from 1936 Germany. Have we not learned anything of the last number of years from Venezuela? I think we've had this massive behavioral experiment in social control. And the demasculizing of a man is the breaking down of a culture. And when you break down of a culture and you impact the identity or i.e. loss of identity within culture, particularly within men, that culture now is vulnerable to any form of control and manipulation. Because you're basically taking that role away from the man being the protector. You are taking away 
his ability to to physically protect and express that exp- uh, that, that physicality mm-hmm. and if you want to control society that's how you're going to do it there's there's a reason why the NRA is such a powerful lobby in the states and I'm not a I do have a gun license I do own guns but I'm not going to go out there and shoot anybody but I'm telling you the one thing they're actually always going against these people that have guns because they believe if we take that away from them, we are now going to be able to control how we want society to unfold, you know? And And I think we have seen this element of control manipulation. um, And and most of it is driven either by greed or fear. Correct. And that has been something that historically has been with us from the beginning of time. And I'm not sure it's going anywhere. I'm not sure that we can, create a cessation of this level of control but i think what we can do is be aware of it and recognize what's going on and pre true to who we are and stay true to our values or at least figure out what our values need to be in light of some of the things that are going on around us and you know every society has its joan of arcs it has its its men its women that stand up and just say you know no more we won't do this and what's happening in in the demasculinizing or the attempt to demasculinize men within today's culture, there has been a silencing of the voice. Mm-hmm. Of the mm-hmm. And of so, I think, you know, I would say, Simone, that without an appropriate balance, and, and, and that word, I want, the, I want those that are feminists, and I appreciate and I love the feminists, but I want them to hear that I'm using the word balance. This is not a man's world. It's not a woman's world. We all have, in a sense, roles that are wired into us. But in the balancing of society, if a man comes to an understanding in this journey of who they are from a balanced perspective, it's going to improve our society as a whole. It's going to improve the family. It's going to improve marital relationships. It's going to improve the the mentoring of our children. It's going to improve everything about our country. And, you know, it's really interesting that as the demasculinization of of men started approximately seven to maybe six to seven years ago hmm. is when many of our problems politically sociologically and economically and relationally and even domestic abuse started to soar and so there is a a, a very very real correlation between the removal of the identity of the man and the problems and the degradation within society but you know russ if you look at history, you brought out the Romans and you know the whole idea of masculinity amongst the Romans. But if we go back another three or 400 years to the Spartans, the women, and this is the beautiful thing about the Spartan society, is men and women were, were deemed equal. Mm-hmm. Women were taught to be warriors mm-hmm. and men were taught to be nurturers. Mm-hmm. They saw the, the and which goes back to what I said about earlier on about that continuum. They saw the benefit of being able to tease that out amongst the, the males and the females mm-hmm. for the betterment of society. But nowadays, what our society has done is it's de- it's, it has demonized what it is to be a truly a male. Mm-hmm. It is basically sat back and has brought out its own definitions and terminology to control. 
because mm -hmm. that's what the bottom line is. Yeah. You want control. And what's even going to get worse, and I hope to God that this doesn't happen in our lifetime, but this whole idea, one of the things you mentioned was a male defines himself by the work that they do. And it's true. And I think, I don't know what the statistics are. Maybe you could help me on this one, Russ or Rob. But I think more males die one or two years after finishing work because they feel worthless. They mm. don't feel that they're able to uh, continue their definition of what it was to be male because they are not bringing home the bacon anymore and going out there and, and working for the family. Mm -hmm. So this whole idea of rolling out this universal designated income where in society, people are just going to be, are going to be born and they're just going to exist. So if you really think about it, is this not sort of a, uh, a, how do you say, a moving towards that type of society where we're not going to be allowed to, to think of whom we are anymore? I mean, the only reason we're going to know we're male and female is because of our, our physicality, our, our reproductive organs. But we're not allowed, we won't be able to express any difference in roles anymore because there won't be any roles anymore. And that's where the Spartan society really nailed it was with their balance. Exactly. They, they encouraged men to understand their feminine energy and they encouraged, and, and I don't want to even say aloud, they celebrated yep. the women when they were operating in their masculine energy. And as both of you have alluded to, we, we all have estrogen and testosterone. We function in both feminine and masculine energy. And, you know, I just want to say, you know, Simone, thank you for these podcasts and these opportunities. And my reasoning for that is that, you know, when you study history, any valid change that's going to take place within a culture always begins with the raising of a voice. And, you know, you're touching some hot potatoes here. And I really thank you for your willingness to, to be a voice right now. And, you know, I say this, you know, in just in a fun and friendship way to you. Here is a woman that's wanting to take a stand for the masculine voice. And I think that's awesome. And so thank you, Simone, for creating a platform like this for really good, healthy, effective, and honest dialogue that we're all having. A change comes when there's a voice. And thank you for your voice and the desire that you have to, to bring about a balance within culture. It's really, really needed. I am so deeply grateful for that. Thank you so much for, for your kind words. My, I cannot take any credit for it other than that I'm providing the platform, but the wisdom and the knowledge and the incredible information that you gentlemen have provided is what's needed out there in the world, especially coming not only from the esteem education that you all have, but also from being so deeply rooted in the masculine energy that you all are and to be able to provide and articulate exactly what it takes and how confusing it is right now. And I want to close with asking each of you, what words of advice would you have to men at large? I mean, I'm not going to limit it to any age bracket. If they want to know how they can navigate the stormy waters that are out there right now in society and what can they do to remain masculine or to capture masculinity, to be able to express masculinity in the way that they see fit from their very authentic being. Because I know that a lot of 
a lot of the conversation today was the importance of being authentic, your authentic self. So what can men do right now? What advice would you have for them? I, I think I'd we, love to. Sorry, go, go ahead. Go ahead, go ahead, go ahead Rob. Okay. <laughs> I, I would like to offer a phrase that's probably about 2000 years old. And it is part of Greek culture. Oh, I'm not sure if it was Socrates or whomever said it, but said, know thyself. That and was, I think yeah. Yeah, that was on top of the Oracle of Delphi. That's correct. In Apollo. Yeah. And and I think that that is one of the most important things that we need to get back to is is know thyself. In fact, let me go a little bit further. If if we wanted to talk about achievement, accomplishment and success, which is a big part of the man's wiring, I'm not sure that you can imagine thyself until you first know thyself. Mm hmm. And so I think know thyself is very important, Simone, these days, because when we don't know ourselves, when we haven't solidified our identity, going back to what Jung said, if you don't know who you are, the world will tell you who you're supposed to be. I would say this, that when there is a lack of conscious acceptance of identity, when the knowing thyself is not present, it gives energy towards fear and insecurities. And when fear and insecurities drive a family, drive a community or drive a culture, we're in trouble. So my parting words would be whatever we need to do. And there are so many wonderful books and podcasts and coaches out there. I mean, great people where they they feel their sense of calling and assignment is to help in this particular area. You, you being one of them, Simone, is it is imperative right now, uh, both men and women, but more so men, we need to know thyself. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's, there's a great book that I recommend. And I was... Um, I was talking about it earlier, but it's a, a man of steel and velvet. Mm-hmm. It's a good balance between a, a real strong masculine man, but a very gentle man and a man of, uh, of velvet as well at the same time. And it's a great one. And I was trying to think of the name is Aubrey Andelin. Aubrey Andelin. It's a very, very good book. It's hard to find these days, but if you, if you find it, it's a great thing to give our youth that brings them up from youth and teaches them how to develop into the men that they should be. And Russ, you're talking about know yourself. Absolutely. We need to develop a self a self-worth and a good self-esteem on our own. Then you'll be like yourself. This society does not need men to start rising up again and saying, no, I need to be a man because that's exactly what I think the government or the powers that be out there really want yeah. or who's ever initiating all this whole agenda. I don't know if I can say the woke movement or whatever, but they, they just do not want any one sex to just dominate over the other one. So I think the best thing to do is, in, in my personal opinion, is to be yourself, be a sensitive man, be a strong man when things need to be spoken for stand up for your for your beliefs but be very gentle and don't be overpowering to people i think that's important you know i, I remember the uh the generation x maybe the younger version of generation x and, and the uh millennials they started doing something that wasn't done in my day as a um a, a baby boomer and that was hugging the males hug each other. Guys in my group was like, no, how's it going, man? Yeah, but it depends on your culture because That's in the true, Greek culture, we not the, hug. Not the Italians. We, Italians and in the Greek culture, hug. we keep hugging. That's right. But 
hug, hug, hug. So a lot of guys are hugging now and they go, love you, man. I love you, man. I love you, man. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But that was never done in my term. And no. I think it's a great thing and I think it's healthy. But what I, I, I fear is just giving is bowing down to someone rising up. And I, I think we should just learn to know ourselves, as Russ said, mm-hmm. and be confident in who we are and develop into who we think we should be. Mm-hmm. No, that's being authentic. That's the bottom line. And I also want to say to a lot of people that are listening out there, strength comes in a lot of ways. Don't ever think that uh, strength in a male is the ability to be big, like the Arnold Schwarzenegger, the Terminator thing. People that, to me, embodied true strength also embody true belief true belief of whom they really knew who they were, as Russ and Rob uh, said earlier on. One is Christ, very, very powerful person who basically changed society, society's belief in religion. Another guy that, and several other people that pop into my head is Martin Luther King Jr., Mahatma Gandhi. They had true strength, but they also had true beliefs as to whom they really were, and they had a conviction. So if I were to give somebody a word of advice as to what it is to be male, I honestly think look towards figures in the past as well uh, and, and see what trials and tribulations they went through. But the fact, the one thing that you'll see that is the underlying theme through all this is they had principles and beliefs that they stuck by. Mm-hmm. and we are being confused and and we're made uh, to not have these principles and beliefs uh, within ourselves. And, and I think that is the tragedy of growing up in this society. That's a great point, Nikos. Really good point. Yeah. <clears throat> Thank you, Russ. Thank you, Rob. Thank you, Simone. Mm-hmm. It's been a pleasure. Yeah. Simone, Simone Simone, your words, your ending words. I really appreciate, thank you very much for your wisdom. And uh, to sum it up for the audience, I think it's so important, and I'm going to close it off with this, self-aware, there's nothing as big and as important as self-awareness. Being able to go inwards on my journey after my stroke, I think that's probably my biggest achievement in life uh, next to having my children, having the, the honor of being able to have children. And I think that the ability to be self-awareness, to know what you want from the people you surround yourself with, what you want from life, what your purpose is in life. And Russ, thank you so much because you've mentored me down that path. It is probably the biggest and most important thing you could do for yourself. And I greatly appreciate what you said, Nikos, because it's important. If you do need the guidance, look at figures that actually stand out as men of integrity, uh, as men of power without having the influence of society to, to shape them and to morph them into what society wants, but rather how they stood so rooted into who they are and were able to project that out to society for others to take note and be able to to follow and to be mentored by them. And of course, if you do need any kind of guidance, it's important to work with a coach or with somebody that can guide you down that path and ask you the right questions that will give you an opportunity to come face to face with yourself and answer those questions, or at least 
let somebody plant the seeds and you can go off on your own and in silence. And I know that Nikos has said the importance of silence and I agree wholeheartedly in silence, you will be able to get your answers because when you go into silence, you can let the divine speak to you and be able to identify to you who you are and what your path is and what your purpose is here. So gentlemen, once again, thank you so much for imparting the audience with such deep wisdom, such importance and important information and deep knowledge. Greatly appreciate. Would love to have you back so we can actually have discourse on the feminine. Uh oh. I have been lucky enough today. I wanted to tell the, the audience, I've been lucky enough today to be able to bask in all this masculine energy, which I have been starved for. As you all know, society doesn't offer that much of that anymore. But would love to have you back to speak to what it takes for a man to see the feminine in a woman. So in closing, thank you so much for all the information that you gave our audience. And I look forward to seeing you again. Thanks, thank guys. you. Thank you for tuning to The Confidential. We hope you enjoyed the episode and found it interesting and informative. Please subscribe to the show to receive notifications when new episodes are released. You can also follow us on social media on Instagram at The Confidential Podcast to stay up to date with all things related to the show. We appreciate your support and welcome any feedback you may have. Until next time, stay curious and keep on learning. Thank you for listening.